On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I'm your host. Today, we continue this installment of the E-Series with Conversations in Care, Empowering Engagement, a conversation between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and community member, Susan Morris-Wood. Let's get started. Trent joined Hospice of Piedmont in 2013 as the organization's third CEO since its founding in 1981. Prior to joining the organization, Trent worked for 16 years in long-term care with Triad Medical Services in Yadkinville, overseeing operations and management of a statewide network of almost 2,000 long-term care beds. Most recently, he led the organization in navigating a successful merger with Hospice of Randolph. Joining Trent today is Susan Morris Wood. After attending Meredith College, Susan married her first husband and moved to High Point, where she has called home for almost five decades. For many years, uh, she she was a homemaker and stayed at home um, with her three children. During that time, Susan volunteered with many local organizations, including High Point Community Theater, the Junior League, Arts Council, Communities and Schools, Family Service, High Point Convention, and Visitors Bureau. For several years, she taught dance to children, including tap, ballet, and jazz. Susan retired in 2017 after a 25-year career as a fashion consultant with the Carlisle Collection, a women's luxury fashion company. She married, remarried a year ago and has enjoyed being a newlywed once again. Thank you both for being with us today. Now, without any further ado, I hand this discussion over to you, Trent. Thank you, Ryan. And Susan, thank you for being my guest here today. Um, You know, uh, I have to mention uh, that you and I have a connection through dance. We both danced um, with uh, Dancing with the High Point Stars um, in the last several years, though I cannot pretend, I cannot pretend to be uh, as accomplished of a dancer as you are. Um, so I appreciate your being with us uh, today and joining me for this important conversation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about just how you got engaged with our organization. What led you to us? Well, it started in 2014. Um, my daughter, Rachel, had, um, she died that year and she was 32 years old and she had, uh, Rachel had a genetic condition called neurofibromatosis type two. So we had been, she was diagnosed at 14. So we had been through 18 years of treatments, trying to find something to help her. She eventually lost her hearing and she um, she is characterized by tumors on the central nervous system. And the hallmark of the disease is bilateral acoustic neuromas. Um, all that to say that she, uh, the course of treatment for her condition involved a lot of radiation. She had radiation to tumors in her brain several times. She had a couple of brain surgeries. She had radiation to her um, chest area. And um, in the spring of 2014, she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer that was caused by some of the radiation treatments she had. 
So she went through a lot of chemotherapy and we were in and out of Baptist at Wake Forest Baptist Hospital in Winston over the course of, uh, I guess it was three months, April. It was a pretty quick cancer that, that took her. But finally in July of that year, um, the doctors told us there was nothing else that they could do for her and that we should go home and consider hospice care. So that was the beginning of my relationship with hospice. Um, we, they contacted you, I'm assuming. I don't remember making the call myself, but I think the hospital did. But we came home on a Friday afternoon on the 10th of July and hospice was there to help us, to greet us, to they arranged to have a bed, a hospital bed brought into our home. Um, the, I guess, it, I don't know if it was a nurse or an admissions person, I can't even remember now, um, the people that were there, it was just one person that night, came out and uh, assessed her and talked with us and explained to us, they just kind of took over. And at that point in time, I needed somebody to take over. I was after, my mother had died three months before that. In fact, Rachel was diagnosed the week after my mother died. So it was just kind of, I'd been on this horrible downhill roller coaster for a while. And uh, I need hospice came in and, and, and helped us, helped us negotiate what, which was unfortunately only four days because she died on the 14th of July, but um, they were there with us for a while. So that was my initial contact with hospice. And then 18 months after Rachel died, my husband was diagnosed with cancer and he subsequently passed away about six months, eight months after he was diagnosed. And he went into the hospice home rather than having hospice come into, the, into our home. Yeah. So I've had, I've experienced both sides of the um, hospice care. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that, uh, uh, Susan. You know, you said something uh, that really struck me that the hospice just came in and just sort of took over and that's what you needed at that moment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, losing a child and losing, well, losing a child is the most difficult thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I didn't know which end was up when they told us that there was nothing else they could do for her in retrospect. I mean, I can look back on it now and think, how, how did I not know this? But you, I mean, you just always hopeful that, that something's going to work. Some of the treatment you're having is going to work. And um, you just, I don't know. I just didn't let myself think about the end of her life. Sure. And when the doctors finally told us that, this was the end, there was nothing else that could be done. Hospice helped me accept that. They, they took over for me and helped me do some of the things that I couldn't, couldn't have done. I mean. Yeah, no, I, I can completely understand that. That's something that we hear a lot um, from patients, families, um, both both during the time that we're caring for someone and then even during the time afterwards. And uh, your, your husband uh, had a little bit of a different hospice experience. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, that was in our hospice home here in High Point. 
Um, it was just a different, was that a different experience or was it a similar experience for you? Well, no, it was very different. Um, Rachel, my daughter was deaf. So um, when hospice came into our home, they were really, I mean, they made Rachel comfortable and they gave her medications and, and they helped with all of that. But I had to do all the communicating with her because she, we really didn't know sign language. It wouldn't have helped to have an interpreter, but she could understand me and I could communicate with her. So the hospice volunteers came and made her comfortable, but they really, really helped our family as much as my, my, other, my two sons and my daughter-in-laws and, and my husband and I, um, they helped us negotiate that period of time. When my husband got sick and died, he did not want to go back. He had been in, in the hospital here in High Point, And when the doctors told him that there was nothing else they could do for him, he made the decision to go to the hospice home. He didn't want to, I don't know whether he didn't want to go through what Rachel had gone through, or he didn't want to put his family through that again. Where we were living at the time was rel relatively small. A lot of people coming in and out. It was just, it was not great. Um, so he, he made the decision to come to the home and it was a, a wonderful decision and it was his decision, totally his decision. Yeah. So, you know, I, I cannot imagine you, you know, you, you mentioned your daughter was 32. She'd have a lifelong condition. You had lived a life of being a caregiver. Yes. Yes, I had. And I had actually, I had been a caregiver for my mother for four or five years prior to that. And then my sister, I had a sister that had a life, had a passed away about 20 years ago and I was her caretaker too. So that's all I had. It feels like sometimes that's all I did for about 20 years. Yeah. So I imagine then sort of going from being a full-time caregiver the way you were, which was focused on something very different. It was focused on the next series of things, right? Yeah. The next series of treatments or the next series of physician appointments. Did, did, how did that change for you as you went from being this, you were still a full-time caregiver, certainly, but it changed for you because you had additional support that came into your home or that, that even uh, your husband received services in, a, in our uh, hospice home. Was that different for you? It, it was different for me. And I apologize. There was a, something on the speaker here that interrupted some of what you were saying and I didn't hear it all. Oh, sure. Um, how, just how was it different? You'd been a caregiver uh, in your, in, you know, for many years and, and you suddenly went from being a caregiver that was focused on something really different to being a caregiver that was focused on something more immediate, I suspect. Yeah. Well, I think um, I was, I watched Dr. Jen a couple weeks ago when she was on talking about you, you're switching, you switch from treatment. I don't exactly know how she say it. You, you, you're looking for treatment and then all of a sudden you just switch over with hospice care to somebody just taking care of you, making you comfortable. You're not looking for treatment any longer. And that was, that was common in both of my experiences with Rachel and with my husband. Um, when, we came into the hospice home. Um, well, there was much more room to spread out. We had a lot of fam family and friends who came sure. to be with him for his final two or three days. Yeah. Um, the nurses, the chaplains, the physicians, 
they were all so, so supportive of us. And they were there 24 seven. When you have care in your home, there's not somebody with you to walk you through all the steps. You're, you spend more time by yourself. Yeah. You know, people calling, coming for home visits and that kind of thing. It's not, they're not there all the time. And it was, I, they, they allowed me to switch from being the caregiver and I, then they started kind of taking care of me. Hospice started taking care of me and my family. Wow. You know, that's something we talk a lot about is the family as being the whole unit of care. It's not just the patient. It extends beyond that. And that's really just what you described, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to ask this question, Susan. Did the support that you received from your hospice care team you know, did it, did it make all of that a little less scary? I mean, the thoughts of losing someone near and dear is scary enough on its own. Yeah. But did it make it less scary? Yes, it did. I mean, facing the fact that you're losing a child and your spouse of 44 years is, is not easy. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's just your worst nightmare. I mean, it is a terrible time in life, but I will say hospice made it okay to talk about it. They, um, I think it was said in one of your previous discussions with somebody that it normalizes the conversation. It allows you to, uh, hospice allows you to talk about death and dying. And it, as scary as it is, it just, it, it, it gives you some acceptance. It gives you some normalization. It gives you, um, it's okay. I mean, you know, I can remember thinking, I hate where I am right now. I don't like what's going on. But after talking with hospice, I thought, well, maybe I can get through this. Maybe I can get to the other side. Mm -hmm. Well, you alluded Susan, a little bit to having experienced a significant amount of loss in a very short period of time, your mother, your daughter, and then your husband of uh, over four decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can you talk a little bit about your grief journey? Okay. Yeah. Um, after Rachel died, my husband and I tried to come, we came to a couple of group things. I don't even remember what they were. Um, tried to take advantage of some of that. It just, I don't know. I, it wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy the group process. Um, so we really didn't do much as far as counseling or grief therapy or anything after she died. And then he got sick. So quickly after that, when he died in 2016, December, 2016, I just was spent. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't know what my life was about. All of a sudden, I had gone from being caregiver for so many people and being the most important person in several people's lives, and all of a sudden, here I am. I'm not the most important person in anybody's life anymore. It, it really changes. It changed what I thought I was. What I thought my purpose in life was. I mean, it had been to be a caregiver for so long. So, in, after the first of the year, I decided that maybe I ought to look at doing some, trying to do some one-on-one counseling with hospice. So, I called, and, and I had a wonderful, wonderful therapist, Chasey Sanfilippo. She saved my life. I probably spent 
I don't know, I think it was maybe eight or nine months seeing her started off every week or every other week. And then it kind of dwindled off after that. But she helped me get my life back together. She helped me realize that I am somebody besides a caregiver. She helped me figure out who I was and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And even that maybe self-care was just as important as for, for yourself is just as important as your work and caring for someone else. Yeah, I didn't know how to take care of myself. Right. Wow. Now, Susan, you've mentioned a couple times during our conversation that uh, you've alluded to some previous episodes of the E-Series. Um, so I appreciate the fact that you've been a bit of a loyal follower of, <laughs> of, of what we've uh, put on uh, this year. Um, as you've watched some of those episodes, what are some of the things that really resonated with you? Well, uh, in one of the episodes, you talked about the fear of hospice. And I understand that. I mean, you, you have a, the fear of dying and the fear of your loved one dying, but there's also the fear of reaching out for help. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, I guess if the hospital hadn't encouraged me to contact hospice when Rachel was dying, I might not have done it myself. I, I don't know, but, but I'm so glad that they encouraged it and that I did because it helped me negotiate her death and dying. And I, my mother, I think I told you, my mother had died a couple months before that. And I wish now that I had engaged hospice with her. It's just, it's a time in your life where you're fearful to really admit that, that your loved one is dying. Um, you don't really, I don't know, once you get past the fear of reaching out and once we did reach out, I was just so grateful for the way that they're not judgmental. One of the, one of the, one of your sessions, somebody said, oh, they were afraid the hospice people were going to judge that their house was too dirty. That never crossed my mind. I can, <laughs> I can assure you that, but um, there was the fear of somebody coming into my home and it, but once I lived through it, it was not, it's, it's not scary. That's, those are powerful statements. I suspect there are many people who may be watching this now or listening to this later who may have those same thoughts, right? That this is, this is scary. And I think hearing this from someone who's experienced it is, you know, incredibly empowering, if not affirming that, that this is, that, that, that all of these are normal feelings because you had them too, right? Yeah. Even to the, I mean, the, I had the fear after Billy died of reaching out to, to call to get that appointment for the one-on-one -on -one counseling. I was afraid to, to do that. But once I did it and sat down with the counselor, it, it, it was all okay. I was just so relieved that somebody was going to help me take care of me. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it, it goes, it, it's interesting. Um, it, it's sort of like going from being feeling invincible to allowing yourself to understand that um, your invincibility is really, you know, sort of wrapped up in what you can accomplish yourself or with the help of others. Right. Right. Yes. Absolutely. On your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so as you look back and we've talked a little bit about this already, um, What's something that you would tell somebody who might have trepidations about picking up the phone and calling or, or even, or even having heard 
that conversation from the physician of you might want to think about hospice and leaving thinking, no, no, I'm good. We don't need that. What would you say to them? I would say don't be afraid and don't be afraid to talk to hospice. I mean, you can talk to to hospice and maybe you can, maybe you decide that's not for you, but at least listen to what they have to say. It try, try to get past that fear, that hesitancy. It, it, it really is. It's, it was just so helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Incredibly supportive. I think as you've described it, as yeah. I've heard just during our conversation um, uh, today, um, you know, it's interesting. I think most people have um, have a deep-rooted sense of fear, as we've talked about already, related to both getting older and then also of just dying. Um, and so I think hearing um, these conversations from folks like you are so very empowering um, uh, to, to people. Um, and... So Susan, you know, you've talked a little bit around some of this. Um, you, you mentioned that um, when we were taking care of your daughter, Rachel, that, that the services you received were incredibly beneficial, not only to you and your husband, but also to your, to your I think it's sons. Is that right? Yeah, I have two sons. Yeah. Uh, two daughters. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, we were all there with Rachel. Um, almost 24 seven at home and the hospice volunteers or not the volunteers, the hospice caregivers that came into our home were just so supportive of us and, and, and helping us the little notebook they gave us that, you know, explained some of the end of life things to look for. And um, some of the feet we, we were, we took away some of her medications, but there were some added like some of the, um, medications to make her more comfortable. And we were a little bit uncomfortable with that, but the hospice people made it, made us feel better about it. Yeah. So as you look back over the last several years, um, you know, you, you've, you've attributed a sick, a significant amount of your own personal growth and, and well-being to the services that you received through Grief Counseling Center. Do you have any other thoughts you might want to share just about that? Well, hospice was, I think, probably more beneficial for me and my family surviving children than even for my husband and my daughter. I mean, the, the services that you offered to help us get get on with their lives. I mean, it's not just about the person who is dying. And, and although it was comforting, I'm sure, to Billy when he was dying, to know that he was being well taken care of, um, it just I sometimes feel like it meant a whole lot more to, to me and my family than it did to them. Wow. Yeah. That's an incredibly powerful um, statement. Uh, Susan, one, one last question. I mean, the things that you've given today to folks who are watching this or maybe listening later are so very impactful. 
what is the one thing as you look back over that journey that you had um, that you might share with someone else? You, you know, you've mentioned, don't be afraid to call. Is there anything else? How do you, how do you get over those fears? What, what advice might you have for, for those folks? Uh, gosh, Trent, I don't know. Everybody has their own journey with this. And for me, the fear of reaching out for help was my biggest initial stumbling block, reaching out for help for myself after all of the stuff that I had been through or that our family had been through. But it was the best thing I ever did. I mean, it just, it gave me my life back to be able to spend that time with one-on-one grief counseling and having someone validate my, um, my sadness, my, I, I wasn't suicidal after my daughter died, but I didn't care whether I lived or died, really. I, I, I just, and then, then adding my husband, Billy, on top of that, it, it, I didn't know what my purpose in life was. I didn't, I, I just, I, I didn't care really whether I lived or died. And I need, knew that I needed to get, get some help. And I did. And you, and you gave it to me. Well, Susan, it, it, it's a two-way street. You, you engaged with us and we were certainly privileged to uh, help you and your family all along the way. Um, I see that our moderator, Mr. Ryan Biagini, has joined us back, which means that we are uh, nearing the end of our conversation today. Um, And Susan, you know, I cannot thank you enough for your courage to come and talk and share your incredibly personal story um, with folks who are, you know, perhaps sharing some of the same fears that you talked about. Um, and also for sharing, um, shedding some light on your own uh, grief journey, um, which I really do appreciate um, so very much. Um, So thank you. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Ryan, um, I think there are some comments in the Q&A section um, in a chat, if you want to sort of read through those. Yes. We have a comment from KJ that says, family dynamics are not always ideal and hospice was amazing at helping my family navigate our father's death in a very compassionate manner for everyone involved. I think you kind of spoke a little bit to that uh, yourself, Susan, with your experience. And I imagine that everybody um, listening here who's had a hospice experience, um, maybe even with hospice of the Piedmont, might have experienced that similar um, compassion in entering into um, just challenging times for families. Um, There's another uh, comment uh, from Kirk, um, just stating that this has been a really illuminating interview and that these questions were direct and uh, thoughtful uh, and helped to uh, elucidate the positive impact of hospice and Susan's experience Susan, he appreciated your candid and personal uh, responses and was grateful for this conversation, as, um, as was I. I uh, am so grateful uh, for you both allowing us to sit in on this discussion. Um, Susan, in particular, I'm grateful for your willingness and your courage, your vulnerability uh, to share with us your story. Um, you know, just as no two hospices are the same, 
no two hospice stories are the same. Um, I know that statement to be true, um, but I'm also sure that much of what you shared, your fears, the worries you experienced, the sadness at times, but ultimately the relief um, resonated with a lot of our listeners. Um, I'm thankful to hear that your experience uh, with the staff and the care of Hospice of the Piedmont not only met you in your time of need, but I think as you put it, gave you your life back and once again showed you which end was up. So I just appreciate you sharing with us your story. You're welcome. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for joining us for our discussion, Conversations in Care, Empowering Engagement. If you have been inspired by Susan's story and would like more information about our organization or how to get involved personally, visit hospiceofthepiedmont.org. Looking forward to our next installment of the E-Series, join us for a new series of conversations around the intersection of faith and health. CEO Trent Cochran will sit down with local faith community leaders to discuss how faith and spirituality often inform an individual's perspective of their own healthcare decisions and how they care for others. We'll explore different avenues which connect ideas of faith and health and how they are closely related. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.